Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. morning, beloved family. How are you this day? this day? I pray that you are well. I'm happy, happy, happy to be with you. And um, we are going to jump right into, this is the third day I've been threatening to take us through the Baltimore Catechism. And um, the background, I explained the last two days, um, that in all this chaos of the church, uh, the the world and the church, from without and within, um, we cannot control it, we cannot put those fires out. The only thing we could do is be a fresh drop of water within and know our faith in order that we live our faith. Um, I will say that um, when I came into the church, I mentioned this yesterday, three-quarters of um, I should say three generations really were lost to the faith. They were Catholic, they went to church, but they didn't know their faith. Um, and now we know things that we've been brought up with for the most part, but unless we're converts and we really had to read our way into the church, um, we need to renew uh, our knowledge and deep love for the church. And so the Baltimore Catechism that I found online um, begins with this question, Baltimore Catechism number three, and again, high school is right on up <clears throat> to a hundred years old or more. Um, the first lesson is on the end of man, and the first question, um, and there's a note here that says question number 126 is the correct beginning of this catechism, and it says this, what do we mean by the end of man? Now, I don't know if any of you were raised with that question, but if the lesson is on the end of man, what do we mean by the end of man? Does that mean he'll be obliterated from the earth? Does that mean when he dies? And then what happens? Um, what, is the, what does it mean, the end of man? <clears throat> and so that's the perfect first question. What do we mean by the end of man? And the answer is what you already know. By the end of man, we mean the purpose for which he was created, namely to know, love, and serve God. Now, I'm going to dare to ask you or your children, if I ask the question, why did God make you? Those of you, especially who were raised on the Baltimore Catechism, would say, God made me to know and to love and to serve him in this world and be happy with him in the next. But then if I said, but what is man's end? You'd say, um, you know, you may not put it together. And so this is, is just, I think it's absolutely t- tremendous because, you know, if you, if you uh, don't know your end... If you don't know your the end of man, why we were created, then your life is not going to have a a purpose that's going to bring you to that proper end. Um, and I I I'll just 
sum up in a couple of sentences what I expressed a couple of days ago, that since I'm 10 years old, even in my Jewish home, I, I never knew why we were on earth. Why was mankind on earth? Well, to grow up, to get an education, maybe to fall in love and marry and have a family, and, and then the family continues on. But what's it all for? What's it all for? And it wasn't until I gave my life to Christ um, that I had a reason to live and that everything made sense. And I am, I, so no matter what the circumstances are, it, it, it doesn't affect my reason for being. It doesn't affect if God made me to know, love, and serve him. What happens when my human relationships go awry? They go wrong, or the family breaks up, or the world destroys itself. Does that affect me? Absolutely it does. But it does not affect the end for which I exist. To know, love, and serve God. That never changes. And if that's in my heart, that's the perspective that I return to every moment of every day. And I'm free because that can't be touched. That cannot be destroyed by anybody ever. Not if I don't, uh, not if I don't let it. Not if I truly know the reason for my existence. And so, again, I mentioned uh, previously that I have a book on my shelf from, uh, authored by Frank Sheed, uh, two centuries ago, one of the greatest apologists the church has ever had, and it's called Society and Sanity. And I want you to listen to this, because this is, this is the point of the first question. What do we mean by the end of man? And does it matter that we know that? Does it matter? So what? People have successful lives. They're billionaires. They have high positions. They do very well. Uh, So what's the difference if we know that? Is that just a religious question? It is not. Because God created every one of us to know a love and serve him. Or or rather, yes, that was right. Um, I'm going to read this, just little parts of it to us. It's, It's truly, truly wonderful. I'm trying to see now. I think I, I found yesterday, 1953 it was written and published by Sheed and Ward, uh, Frank Sheed and Maisie, Maisie Ward, uh, met and married and formed the publishing company Sheed and Ward. Anything you ever see by Frank Sheed, you can buy. He's not alive anymore, of course, but I suggest you get it. <clears throat> so this is Society and Sanity. And he says, our treatment of anything, our treatment of anything must depend in the last resort on what we think it is. Okay? We treat a dog one way, we treat a person another way, we treat a a desk another way, a park another way. Our treatment of anything must depend in the last resort on what we think it is. I'm just going to stop here with my own, I'm going to enter my own thoughts as we read this. Um, I've come across people that have spoken to me, particularly in the younger generation, I need to say, who have spoken to me, the older generation, as if I'm an object. Um, There's no connection. There's a disconnection. Uh, is if there's something really, really missing from 
from the, the humanity of that person. There's no connection. And again, if we, if we treat a person, let's just say, on what we think he or she is, then that person just can't be an object. Um, there has to be dignity. There has to be respect. There needs to be a proper communication. So I have felt it. And when I feel it, it frightens me because it almost feel it's, feels at time like I'm speaking to a robot. It really is a frightening situation to come across. So again, um, our treatment of anything must depend in the last resort on what we think it is. For instance, or that that person is a robot, I'm not sure what I said there. Uh, For instance, he says, we treat people one way and cats another because of our idea of what a man is and what a cat is. Now, I gave that example not realizing I would read it. All our institutions family, school, trade union, government, laws, customs, anything you please, grew out of what those who made them thought a man was. Because all those are made for man. So what do you think a man is? And, beloved, we're going to read through this, and we're going to understand that we don't need to say man or woman, brother or sister, Male or female, God made man and made him male and female. And man is the catch-all. Uh, it means man and one means humanity. Mankind, not person kind. I don't even want to say humankind. I know, I know that's, no. Um, it's mankind. That's what the scriptures say. That's what God did. And that's what I stick to. I, I love it. There's no reason to change that, to accommodate a fallen world. Um, And Frank Sheet says, if you want to understand them profoundly, you must get at the idea of man that they express, right? If you're going to build a school, you're going to have a family, a government, laws, whatever it is, it's all for man. And if we don't know what man is and to what end he exists, how are we going to design those to fit him? Right now, The schools are, uh, children in public schools are being made to um, recite and memorize the the Muslim creed and made to look at um, sex education and four-year, I was going to say fourth graders, four-year-olds taught gender ideology. Um, not allowed to say girl and boy in some uh, circumstances anymore. No, mommy and daddy, forget it, it's parent. It's evil. It's awful. And if you do that, you turn, you don't turn people into animals. You, in your mind, have done that. And you treat them like animals. Completely out of God's design, because God is the creator. And the one who creates something knows what he creates it for. And if we want to interact with it, uh, we need to understand the creator's design. And so, <clears throat> he's, uh, Frank Sheet says, there are periods of human history when it is not immediately and obviously necessary to make this sort of profound inquiry. 
when institutions are long established, functioning healthily, serving happiness, the mass of men may very well decide simply to live by them and ask no questions. But when anything goes wrong with an institution, so that we have to decide whether to mend it and if so how, or to scrap it and if so what to put in its place, then the question what man is immediately becomes not only practical, but of the first practicality. Whatever is happening in our schools, in our government, the evil all over the world, the reason you need to take your children out of the public school, and today the majority of Catholic schools, is because they do not know what man is. They do not know. Man has become an animal, an experiment for them to manipulate and bring to their evil end. This is so for two reasons, Frank Sheet says. One of them vital, but in our day widely denied. The other vital and not in any day deniable. The first reason is that all social orders are made for men and must be tested by their aptitude to men. And again, we're talking about human beings. God uses men. Uh, man, mankind, that's God's word for us. We don't have to change it. There are those who would smile at this. And for the moment, I shall not argue with them. I'm reading from the book. But go on to the second reason, which nobody can deny, that all social orders are made of men, of human beings. People making engines study steel. People making statues study marble. People making social systems should study them. For man is as much the raw material of social systems as steel is of engines or marble of statues. And whereas we are not all making engines or statues, we are all involved in the making of social systems from small ones like the family up to the largest, the state, to which we belong. Our whole life consists in getting along with other human beings. In our personal relations, therefore, the question is, how should men be treated? How should we treat one another? In the political order, the question is exactly the same. Now you cannot intelligently decide how anything should be treated until you are quite clear what the thing is. You cannot know how men should be treated until you are quite clear what a man is. Now, beloved, this may seem, we, you or I, may not have thought it through uh, on this level, but and it may seem a little ridiculous to us at a time, because we know what man is, but do we? Do we know what man is? If you are a woman, and you are already offended because I'm using the word man instead of male and female, brother and sister, it it pains me at Mass, at the Novus Ordo Mass, when the lector says, brothers and sisters. Those words are not in Scripture. 
We don't need to change God's world to accommodate our fallenness. And if you're offended by this, I, I hurt for you. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But it's already a sign that something is not right with you, that you've already gotten. Now, I'm making this personal, and I, I know that could be very hurtful. But uh, we can widen it, and we can say if people are offended, uh, if some women are offended, uh, instead of you personally, it, it amounts to the same thing. It's indicative of our fallenness. I'm not saying you're at fault, but it's indicative of our fallen, uh, corrupt culture that does not understand the beauty of mankind and what man's order and place is and truly what we are. <clears throat> that is why, Frank Sheet says, that is why the word sanity is in the title of this book, Sanity means seeing what is, living in the reality of things. If a man sees what is not, snakes crawling out of his wallpaper, for instance, or himself as Napoleon, he is not sane. The trouble is that we do not always know when people are seeing what is or not failing to see what is. It can happen less spectacularly than in the instances quoted. But the principle abides. Mistaking what is not for what is means that sanity is defective. Wishful thinking, for example, taking one's wishes for reality is mental defect. Because, beloved, um, I've always given that uh, to be sane, to me is the definition of humility. Humility is not to think more highly of oneself or more lowly of oneself. If we think more highly, that's pride. If we think more lowly, it's pride. Humility is seeing ourselves as we are and as we are before our Creator God. And then we can grow. Then we can grow. We can see things as they are truly. It's not to put ourselves down. It's not to build ourselves up. It's to see sanely. It's to see things, ourselves, the world, as they are, as it is. So he says, wishful thinking, for example, taking one's wishes for reality. I have lots of wishes. I wish I could stand on the moon with a megaphone and tell the world about the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That's a wish. It's a real wish. I, I really wish I could do that. But if I thought I could do that, or try to build a ladder to the moon, you would say there's something off with me and you'd be right. There's a mental defect. It's a good wish. She's a good soul, but she's a little off. We use the expression, or I've heard it many times, off his rocker. Well... If, if, yes. So, um, uh, so is taking one's fears for reality. Listen to that. Wishful thinking, for example, taking one's wishes for reality is mental defect. So is taking one's fears for reality. Now, that's a little more serious, beloved, yes? Because so many of us live with so many fears. And we let them cover us and control us. And that is not reality. Our fears 
have a cause. They have a reason. But when we think they're reality, we need, we need help. We need help to be free from what is not reality. So is taking anything but what is for reality. Wishful thinking is the commonest, the most common. In sociology and politics, it is almost universal. It is horribly easy. We concentrate upon the thing we want, a particular arrangement of society, say, so that it grows larger and larger in our mind. We regard obstacles naturally with impatience. We get no pleasure out of looking at them. Forget those obstacles. Look at them. We look at them less and less and finally stop seeing them. The obstacles are still there, of course, but they are no longer there for us. Only the wish is real. Picture this, beloved. A young lady, a young, beautiful woman is dating a wonderful man and they're falling in love and they're thinking of marriage and he hasn't proposed yet, but she already has the curtains on the kitchen window picked out and she's dreaming of how it's going to be and how she's going to love him and how she, he's going to love her and the family they'll have and the and the, how they'll raise the children and, and the house. And she has the whole thing. This is possible. It's her wish. There's nothing wrong with dreaming. But when the wish becomes uh, almost a structure, almost reality in her mind, and then he doesn't propose, or they break up, or whatever it is, it, she is completely devastated. Because, not just because they broke up, but everything she wanted is gone. All her dreams, it's all destroyed. The curtains are destroyed. The house is destroyed. But she never had those things. All of that was never reality. And she's put an enormous amount of devastation on herself. Her life is ruined. All of that because she was not living in reality. This is an example, and it's quite common. <clears throat> we may still allude to the obstacles, and, um, but only to assure our hearers and reassure ourselves of the firmness, firmness of our hold on reality. Wishful thinkers love the slogans of realism. When you hear a speaker say, quote, facts, gentlemen, are stubborn things, end quote, Prepare for a ramble through utopia. Okay? Facts, gentlemen, are stubborn things. You remember that you're not going to be hearing reality from the speaker. In every field, the test of sanity is what is in the field of human relations, the special test is what man is. This is the point at which sociology must be rooted in reality. If it is not, no amount of accurate investigation and scientific weight, weighing of evidence at subsequent stages will heal the defect at its root. I have to turn my little laptop back on. It went off. I'm sorry. Um, 
it's amazing, yes? Because we can identify ourselves in these things. But unless we see things sanely, beloved, uh, we'll not know why we're on the earth, and we won't know how to judge things. Why do people, some people get so incredibly uh, aggressive and emotional and cannot handle failure, cannot handle change, uh, all of that, because they don't live in reality, because they, what they want is all they see, what they wish becomes their world, and they're going to be very disappointed by it, and in measure destroyed. They cannot handle it, because they've built up so much in their own world. You know, when people are in... Uh, insane asylums or or mental institutions uh, i think c.s lewis once wrote no no a jk uh, gk chesterton they're very happy they're very very happy and they're sane because they actually see what is and they create their own world and then they see that and it is their own world but it's not reality beloved so there's the music for our break and um We will uh, come back and take your calls, your emails, your texts with anything that's on your heart. Um, Call in or email or text toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. St. Francis de Sales said, never miss an opportunity to do good. Placing a Catholic radio bumper magnet on your car is an opportunity to do good in the lives of others, whether they're drivers or passengers. Order your free bumper magnets at thestationofthecross.com. Just click on the Promote tab at the top of our website. We'd be happy to send bumper magnets for your listening area so that others can come to know the Lord. That's thestationofthecross.com and click on the Promote tab. Thank you for sharing Catholic Radio on the road.
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you and We are at the point where we have a whole half hour all to ourselves, and you're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart. Again, the heart of the matter is the matter of a your heart, and you can call or write in anonymously whatever it is that's on your heart. We have an email from James who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, I have listened to you for many years, and I am so thankful for all of your love for the Church and the truthful and direct guidance over the years, especially at this time of great confusion. I have donated money to your apostolate for the last few years for the Daughters of Mary. James, God bless you, dear brother, for your, your heart in this, your partnership, your support. God bless you. Um, James writes, I heard you mention recently about the oblates you are forming for lay Catholics. I try to find out information on your Daughters of Mary website, but could not locate it. Can you please direct me so that I could share with my wife uh, to discern joining? We are thankful for all you do. May God bless you and the Blessed Virgin protect you. Um, a big hug to you, James. Thank you so much for your most dear heart um you know it's so new i haven't even sent the first letter out to the oblates yet this is just forming and so i we don't even have a website uh, spot for the oblates yet but it's the benedictine oblates of daughters of mary mother of israel's hope and we 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 shortened it to mary's oblates for the title and in the last newsletter is the only time that I was first announced in the last newsletter and uh, a form was in that newsletter. You are welcome to go to our website, which is www.motherofisraelshope.org. Just click on the newsletter tab to the right <clears throat> and you will see our latest newsletter right there. And anyone who wishes to subscribe to our newsletters, which... So far, I, I've, I've never been able to get more than th- out three in a whole year, so you're not going to be bombarded with mail, that's for sure. Um, go ahead and open that newsletter if you can, and if you scroll down, you'll see the form. You can print it out and mail it in, or you can wait. <clears throat> There's no deadline here. You can wait until our next newsletter, which I'm just now putting together. And I'm hoping it to have it out by the end of this month. And that newsletter is going to contain the entire first eight-page letter of Mary's Oblates. So whether you're an Oblate or not, you will receive that. And the newsletter will also have a brand new form for anybody to fill out and, and send it in. So no deadline, no worry. Um, and again, the newsletter will have the, uh, our normal newsletter will include the eight-page newsletter of Mary's Oblates, the very first one, so that everyone can see what, what it is we're talking about, what it is that we're, the kind of the pride, there's no requirement, male, female, family, single, couples, groups, 
uh, age, nothing means anything. There's no charge. It, it's just if you'd like in this crazy world to be to have some guidance in formation. And again, when you're an oblate, kind of a, when someone becomes an oblate, they make an ob- oblation, a gift of their life to God. And, uh, unite in, in heart and spirit and maybe in apostolate in part with the, uh, particular religious community that you're becoming an oblate of. And so our community, of course, is to bring the Christ to the world and uh, hopefully to restore God's design, help restore God's design for the family. So um, you can do that right in your own family by never going outside your family, just by beginning to love in a way that you've always wished and and really weren't able to overcome the difficulty. So um, we'll have a form of prayer, we'll have a lot of things, but the thing with an oblate, a lay person, is that you must suit the rule and the activities to your state in life. Someone may be married and want to keep the whole rule of St. Benedict and the whole this and the whole that. And St. Francis de Sales would say, you are wrong because your vocation is to be a mother or a father or whatever it is. And that must come first. So you cannot live. If you go off to pray, you're a mother, your children at home, you go off to spend hours before the Blessed Sacrament. You are not, you are abandoning your vocation. Your vocation is to be at home. Not, not that you shouldn't have holy hours, but your vocation is to be with your children and to love your husband and to bring that home to God. So, um, again, you can go on our website, click on newsletter. If you're not on it, you can sign up for it, and you will get it, and then you'll be able to fill out the form, if you wish, um, uh, to become an oblate. And I've said this before, but while we're on the subject, we don't often mention our apostolate website here for the Daughters of Mary, but um, I've mentioned before that... The November newsletter is going to be huge. It's not going to be huge. It's going to be the normal size. But we're enclosing in that um, a very special gift. And um, uh, it's, I don't know if I should announce it or not, but if you're on our email list by, if you're on our mailing list with your regular address, you don't have to ask for it. You will receive it completely free. It's uh, uh, it's tremendous, and um, if um, if you are on our mailing list only by your email, then you won't receive it in the email version, but you can call us. You could either sign up for the snail mail version or simply call us uh, and say, I got your, e- your new email uh, the end of November, whatever it is, beginning of December, but I got your new newsletter, but I'm emailed so I couldn't get the gift, and we'll send it to you. There's not an issue, and there's no charge. Um, someone has donated um, a huge, huge gift for us, and uh, our only cost is going to be postage. It's really tremendous. So um, I'm sorry to make it mysterious and keep you waiting, but uh, I don't want to speak about it this early. Okay. Um, okay, so dear James, that's your question probably helped a lot of people because I've even gotten emails of people who think they're too late. Can they still get in? As long as you have breath, 10 years from now, the answer is yes. There's no deadline, nothing at all, and you will get a monthly, um, uh, at this point, eight-page newsletter, 
um, every month. Uh, we send out our newsletters two, three times a year, but the oblate, the formation uh, um, apostolate, will have a monthly letter to guide you, to help guide your families, to help you to guide others. Okay, beloved, there's our music. It's, it will be right back after the break. Call in with anything that's on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back, beloved. If you're new to iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download on your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved I'm thrilled to be with you. We have a good 15 minutes all to ourselves, so you're welcome to call in again with any subject on your heart whatsoever, even anonymously if it's helpful, and the toll-free number 1-877-511-5483 or email mother at the station of the cross.com. We have an email from Frank who says, I am so blessed to be able to be witness to your thoughts and words on your program. 
my soul is being constantly bombarded with evil thoughts of lust for the flesh. I have overcome my alcoholism and drug addiction, as well as my smoking. I lost my mother when she was 36 years old, and she was my only support. I was 33, rather, I was 13 years old at the time, and my life has not been easy since. I find your voice to be very heartwarming, and your thoughts and words are so comforting. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless you, dear Frank. You didn't really ask a question, but I'm going to just go ahead and and guess that um, you would be uh, grateful for any help our Lord would give you to overcoming your... um, your evil thoughts of lust for the flesh. Um, I want to praise God and your response to him because you're a survivor. You, you've you had a very rough life uh, to lose your mom, your only support at age 13. I don't know how old you are now or what your life, who raised you after 13, if anyone did. So I'm. Um, uh, my heart goes out to you, my dear one. Um, I don't know what you do, but I, I want you, of course, you've, I want you to praise God that you've overcome your alcoholism and your drug addiction. That's com- absolutely heroic, Frank. It's absolutely heroic. And you better know that the devil is not going to be happy with that. And he's going to bombard you with another addiction. And that is, of course, your thoughts and lust for the flesh. So um, know that it's not from God. Know that um, you can overcome that, not by yourself, but with God's grace. (coughs) And I don't know what your work is or what you do in life, but I would uh, want to um, uh, encourage you to get involved in a ministry with young people with all kinds of addictions, because you've overcome yours. And you can help orphan boys, orphan children, uh, boys clubs, um, all kinds of things. You could really pour your life out to them because you know what it's like. They may not, you may not have the same troubles they have, but you know what pain is like. Uh, you know what hardship is like. And I would say try to pour your life out to them and disciple them, that is, begin to teach them, bring them along. And then when you have something and someone, people, to give your life away to, which is what God made us for as a gift of self, that you give yourself away, your thoughts are going to be less on yourself, your own emotions, your own daydreams, your own needs but they'll be poured out into other lives. And then when you feel these attractions, and you can be sure you will, the devil never sleeps, um, have a plan. Uh, Go put a jacket on and run around the block uh, till you're out of breath and you need to collapse. Um, And learn how to offer the most awful temptations to God. Because if you give in to them, of course you're giving in to the devil. Um, and uh, because he uses our weaknesses. 
He uses our legitimate weaknesses, and you're not interested in him using that. You're interested in God using your uh, sufferings for the salvation of souls. So when you feel that, run around the block, knock yourself out physically, and then um, offer it. Offer it to God for the salvation of the young people who are on the streets, who are dying, who have no mom, who who are suffering. Give it to God and say, take that, Satan. Get thee behind me. I'm not interested. I'm giving this to God. Lord, take this. Take this. And then just pray 50 Hail Marys in a row, and, and God will help you, Frank. He will definitely help you. In fact, um, I learned one day that that's what the early desert fathers did. When they were alone, and they were just as human, uh, and they had thoughts of the flesh and lusts and all that, even though they were alone, the devil doesn't take uh, any vacation. And so um, what they learned to do is before the rosary was given, they still had the 150 beads for the 150 psalms that they used to pray. And so they would pray um, what's called the Jesus Prayer, to say Jesus' name aloud is very important because the enemies, the devil hates that. And so you could say, Lord Jesus, uh, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Lord Jesus, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Or say, oh God, come to my assistance. Jesus, make haste to help me. However you want to put it together. But pray that. They used to pray it. Believe it or not, Frank, a thousand times in a row, they just, before a crucifix, they just, or uh, walking around the house or block or whatever it is, a thousand times over and over those beats. So there's 50 beats and you pray it over and over a thousand times, even if you pray one full uh, rosary of 50 beats, but on every beat you say, Lord God, uh, Jesus, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Oh, Jesus, come to my assistance. Oh, Lord, make haste to help me. Say it. If you say it ten times and it helps, that's fine. But don't stop. Don't stop until you are feel free at that moment. And just keep foiling the enemy, sweetie. Um, there's God could magically take this from you. You could certainly pray to Our Lady for the gift of chastity. That's another thing. Many of the saints have done that, and to some saints, Our Lady has granted that. You can do that as well. <clears throat> and I want you to know some of the great saints uh, struggled with with chastity and with sexual desire and 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 were overcome by it at times and they learned to beat the devil down so that's what we need to do we have an email from mark he says uh, dear mother miriam i became catholic nearly two years ago and i attend the latin mass my question is this i recently returned to the uk i'm english after spending a year in germany since then i've been having frequent conversations with a young lady who I've been friends with for many years. She comes from a family of non-practicing Muslims. She has become increasingly more interested in Christianity, and I've been sending her sermons and conferences online 
um, by priests of the Latin Mass, which she really enjoys listening to. However, I'm concerned, Mother, that I have come to have a strong attraction and affection for her. Obviously, I would only want to marry a fellow Catholic, but I am unsure about what I should do with this attraction and affection which I seem to have for her. Obviously, I will talk with my spiritual director about this, but what would you yourself recommend I do in this situation? God bless you, Mother. Well, Mark, dear, it may be that God will have you lead her truly into the Catholic Church, and she'll become Catholic not to marry you, but because she believes it, against possibly the wishes of her family, even though they're non-practicing. So I would say that... um, If you can hold your affections to yourself, don't express a thing to her. Don't show her any sign of affection whatsoever or of your attraction to her. Zero. Because, you know, if if God does bring you the woman that he would want you to marry... Uh, you should you should date her the same way. You should become her best friend, and you should never put a hand on her, and you should never even tell her you love her until you're ready to propose. So this is good practice for you. If you can control <clears throat> your emotions and ask Our Lady to help you to be a true man of God, that your friend, <clears throat> your Muslim uh, woman, will never, ever suspect that you're attracted to her or that you have an affection, you'll treat her like a man of God, and um, and then you can continue helping her. And if God brings her into the church, then that, of course, could go further. If you don't have control over that, over yourself, oh, and I don't just mean sexually, but I mean over your emotions, if you cannot treat her from a distance emotionally as a friend, then you you need to distance yourself from her. And um, she's going to wonder why. And it won't be good uh, to tell her that because you're attracted to her and our affection and she's not Catholic, so you have to split up. It's not a good plan. It's not a good plan. You want her entire focus not to be on you, but to be on uh, the faith of the Catholic Church. So ask your spiritual director uh, for help in truly simply being a man of God. Uh, you don't need to show your affection. You don't need to do that. That's that's not a strength. That's a weakness. You don't need to show that. If you know that's not what she needs now, and you truly care for her, then you put her before your own feelings, and you step up to the plate, and please, God, help her into the church. That's my thought. <clears throat> we have an email from Gemma, who says, Dear Mother Miriam, thank you so much for your wonderful apostolate. I am a wife and mother of small children. A year and a half ago, I began going to the traditional Latin Mass. This is the first time we have had this opportunity in our area. The first time I went, I fell in love with the liturgy, the sacredness and reverence for our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. Oh, my goodness. Um, I just wish everyone, Gemma, would, would go and respond that way. And she says, um, the other parishes in our community are run mostly by liberal women. Oh, help. And every effort is made to strip the liturgy of ritual beauty and reverence. No parish should be run by any woman, liberal or conservative. 
Eucharistic ministers clumsily dropping the sacred host on the ground, priests doing and saying inappropriate things in the sanctuary and homilies, deacons making bad jokes at every pause in the liturgy. The list goes on and on and on. Make sure you don't enter any of those churches ever again. For years, she says, it was like wandering in the wilderness. How long, O Lord, how long? And then, like manna from heaven, the Latin Mass came. Unfortunately, my husband does not share in my enthusiasm. In fact, the Latin Mass sparks feelings of anger and resentment and has become a contentious topic that I avoid. Our life of faith together as a couple has always been a strong contrast. I tending toward the traditional practices of the church, like praying the rosary and receiving communion on the tongue, and he toward a more ecumenical, relaxed approach. I want our children to be inspired to love and serve the Lord. I want them to see reverence and sacredness in the Mass, to have profound respect for the holy priesthood, to hear beautiful, sacred music. All the other parishes... At the other parishes, there was there's no reverence for Christ in the Eucharist. How can I help my husband understand this? He sees the Latin Mass as divisive snobbery, clericalism, and the people who attend as sanctimonious weirdos. They are good, holy people who love and reverence our Lord. It is so painful. It is as if we were two different religions. It's exactly what it does appear. I have asked him if I can take the children to the Latin Mass on Sundays. He agreed, but mostly opts to attend the other Masses by himself. I don't try to explain because it only makes him upset. I pray the rosary and remain silent. Our children are flourishing since we began attending the Latin Mass. Our son would like to be a priest, and my daughter speaks of being a religious sister. This gives me hope. I only wish... My husband understood. Do you have any advice for our situation? Well, there's the ending music, dearest Gemma, which means we have um, less than a minute. It seems that you've pretty much worked it out the best way, sweetheart. Your husband is agreeing to let you take your children to the Latin Mass on Sunday. Even if he doesn't come with you, you continue that. You, for what you describe of those other parishes, do not take your children there. Continue taking them to the Latin Mass on Sunday and um, do the best you can to never speak a word against uh, the Father to your children and pray for him uh, to Our Lady that he will begin to come with you in time, that his heart will change. Just be the most loving wife that exists on the face of the earth. Okay, no criticism. God bless you. We'll speak to you all tomorrow.